Hi everyone, this is Andrew Davies from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers. Today we are joined by Adrian Rodriguez-Contreras and Barbara Lind. Adrian is an associate professor in communication sciences and disorders at Northwestern University, and Barbara is an assistant professor at the University of Copenhagen. They recently presented their work on neurovascular coupling in awake, head-fixed, and anesthetized mice with a focus on the effects of anesthetics. Let's dive in. First question here, we'll start off with, for both of you perhaps, the videos that you've shown are really stable. How do you stabilize the setup? And can you give a sense of what the total time captured in the videos you presented was? Yeah, we don't stabilize the recordings actually. I think they're quite stable as they are. Yeah, when there's a lot of movement, we would stabilize with very simple uh, algorithm. But uh, during the recordings or the recordings that I showed here, it's not they were not stabilized. I think it's uh, it's possible to to get a data for an um, I mean the entire experiment. But the imaging acquisitions that I I, I showed was uh, like a few minutes long, two minutes long max. But that would be based on uh, how long it's uh, advisable to. Uh, continuously two foot, do two, two foot sun imaging <laughs> more than uh, than the setup as such yes i would i would actually say some something similar to what barbara has said i think it is very important during the implantation step right so to just make sure that that head post is really well positioned and fixed to the skull and i have to say that uh, not I mean, being, I, I am really sort of a novice in, in this kind of things, but I've done the surgeries myself and we had great support from Neurotar. I, I actually want to, to send hi to Leo Kiro, who's been great. Uh, they're always very available. The protocols were available to us. So there is no, no image stabilization, although there are obviously digital algorithms that you can use to stabilize when things are not uh, perfect. So yes, yeah, so, so that's that's one 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 thing that I would uh, say is that really these protocols are are very mature in in terms of of preparing the animals for these experiments and the videos that I showed are uh, for the entire duration of the condition, which is uh, three hundred seconds, and are presented at thirty frames per second. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, I actually want to modify my answer a little bit. I'm sorry, because I have some videos where I had, uh, I didn't show raw data, where I show processed data, the uh, relative, like normalized calcium activity to the optogenetic stimulation. And that, of course, was image stabilized first and images was uh, normalized and, and all, all these sort of things. And it was an average of several stimulations and so on, so on. So it depends. But the, the raw images of mouse running and uh, the calcium activity there, that was not stabilized. Okay, great. Next question here. Barbara, did you look into more detail at the calcium signal spread in single astrocytes? And also, are there subtypes of astrocytes coupled to different interneurons? I think uh, that is uh, really two questions. So I would say, no, I did not study the spread of calcium activity. And you can do that using an, uh, an algorithm called Aqua. But I used an algorithm Initially, I uh, used an algorithm very similar to Aqua, uh, but I found that it's uh, it's picking up um, the bigger responses and the responses that I have to my interneuron stimulation is actually quite widespread, but puncture-like. 
small, right? So to pick them up, it's it was actually more simple to just take field of view calcium signal. But in that way, of course, I wouldn't have any information on the spread. But that being said, the spread of a calcium in astrocyte seemed to be more in the later stage of the calcium activity where it was fluctuating, that there was a, a movement of calcium within the cell. With regards to subtype of astrocyte, I don't know that there is any knowledge about uh, its specific uh, connections to different sort of interneurons, and uh, I did not look into that. But I think it's uh, down the line, of course, something which we need to know. Okay, great. Thanks. Great answer. Next question here for Adrian. And the question is, uh, the calcium activity looks like it comes from the tissue in general. And would there be other cell types expressing this calcium indicator? That's a very good question. And I would actually add uh, another potential alternative for why the signal is coming from other from the tissue and uh, remember that even though the two photon excitation is very focal right the size of that optical slice right uh, is important i have to mention detail about the the way that the data is acquired we are not using very high numerical aperture objectives here we are using a 20x but is uh, i think uh, the numerical aperture is about 0.5, so the optical slice is not as thin as you can achieve with higher numerical aperture objectives. So that's one possibility. That's also why we decided to compare region of interest uh, changes, fluctuations in fluorescence with the entire frame. And when we look at the time course of these different, uh, the global and the sort of the more local signal, we see differences between them. So that. It's a very interesting question. So I think the contribution from the tissue is probably coming from other vessels that are within the excitation volume. And you are very good in asking about expression in other types. We assume that CDH5 is, is uh, mostly expressed in endothelial cells, but I believe there are other cells in the, in, in the organism that also express CDH5. When we do histology, and we look at endothelial cell markers, we don't see, we, I mean, we see a very good sort of colocalization of GCAMP expression and uh, markers for, for endothelial cells. And we don't see much evidence that there are other cell types. You know, we have tried neurons, we have tried microglia, we have tried, uh, I think, astrocyte markers. And, and, you know, it's mostly, it's not a very extensive comparison we've done but there are some movies that I didn't have time to show that are also very interesting where we see little tiny cells sort of crawling <laughs> along the inside of vessels that I have no idea what they are. But, you know, they are very interesting because sometimes they make it into the brain. I don't know if they actually came from the bloodstream or if they were already present in the brain. Again, it's anecdotal, but uh, that's my experience in running the experiments. And unfortunately, I cannot entirely exclude that many of the changes in fluorescence we detect are from these other cells that are in there in vivo. We have tried to choose volumes, imaging, uh, sorry, the series where there's mostly uh, what looks like blood vessels and not these other tiny cells. So that's my, what I have uh, uh, from, from my experience doing these experiments. Okay, great answer. You, you've presented a mystery now, so people will be curious to find out what these cells are, these moving cells. First, for Adrian, for how long after recovery 
did you have reduced synchronicity between endothelial cell calcium signals and vessel dilations? So I guess how long did the effect persist? What I showed you is what we did, right? So the, basically it's five minutes after maintenance that we let animals recover. And during those five minutes, is we, we've noticed that even though, you know, you can see that the, the animal is behave is the, the animal's awareness right comes back <laughs> you know they start whisking maybe they start moving this is the period that we imaged and we wonder about how long does this last and we haven't really done a systematic study to see how long but uh, i have to say that several of the animals that were in the study were imaged several times two or three times so we haven't really analyzed that data to see, you know, how, you know, there are long lasting effects, but in our hands, because there are days between imaging sessions, we cannot really tell difference between the first session and the second or the third imaging session. Of course, we didn't design a specific test for the, to do this, but it's a good question. We don't know what is the time course of this disruption. There was this paper coming out, I think it was of the Bruno Weber group a couple of years back. They said 20 minutes after isoflurane. Okay. But since you don't uh, recall for that, you, you would know. I don't know. I, I'm not, I, I hope I remember correctly here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, great. Maybe we can add some some links into the, to the handouts and resources. Does pervalbumin interneuron stimulation always induce vasodilation? Yeah, so uh, there are some... I mean, most studies that I've come across, they, they do see a blood flow response to a optogenetic PV stimulation. But there are a few studies where they stimulate maybe a bit more superficial or differently where they don't, where they actually see a reduction in the blood flow. So it's not a very simple stimulation paradigm, I would say. Yeah, I can only lean on to that it does happen for others and always for us. <laughs> so in that context, it uh, it does. And of course, we check that it's not the it's not the optogenetic stimulation, the light in itself that's going doing this dilation. It is uh, the does seem to be general reduction specific. So yeah, that's all I can say for that. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune in to future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.